0: I'm tired, I'm worn, my heart is heavy from the work it takes to keep on breathing. These lyrics of a song could very well be the opening lines of a story of uh, probably many of our lives this morning. Maybe you've come today and you are kind of feel like you've been beaten up relationally or verbally at work, at home. And you're coming from that, and, or maybe uh, this morning you're carrying a responsibility that just weighs on your shoulders, that brings anxiety, this fear of failure, or maybe you've been hurt and there's anger boiling up inside you that swirls with discouragement, and there seems to be no one that understands, or maybe you carry a deep loss, a loss of a loved one, a friend. Or just deep disappointment. Something you hoped for and didn't happen. Well, Christian, I want to tell you this morning that Jesus sees, he cares, and he's not far off because he's right there with you. And so this morning, I want to walk through the short account that Keith just read there. And I want to highlight the deep compassion of Christ that we see in this passage. I want us to see how this account is a beautiful picture of the gospel. And I want us to look at the hope we have in Christ. And this morning, it's going to culminate in us believers partaking of the Lord's Supper, communion. It is a perfect picture of what we're seeing here. The remembrance of the compassion of Christ on the cross for us, and then with that, the expression of our unity together that Christ has won for us. And so looking at our passage that Keith just read for us, verse 11, Luke gives us the setting. He says, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So this is, as Keith was saying, was just shortly after the situation with uh, the centurion, who had marvelous faith, the healing of his servant that he beloved, Nain is roughly uh, 20 to 25 miles southwest of Capernaum. So this probably took Jesus a few days to get to Nain. He's still in Galilee, northern Israel. That's where he's been here so far. Luke is northern Israel. And, and keep in mind here, this great crowd continues to follow him. They're following this miracle worker, this man who commands their presence with his words. And then we read this, verse 12. And he drew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And from this, I want us to see that there are no accidents, there are absolutely no coincidences with God. God is never whimsical about what comes through your life. What happens or events that pass through that he permits, he has a purpose for every single one. In Isaiah 46, God says this. He says, For I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. And then we as Christians, we have the assurance, the promise from God himself, that everything that God permits in your life is ultimately for good. Romans 8:28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So whatever you're carrying today, be assured that God knows, that God cares, that he is accomplishing his purpose through this. And so in our account, we see that God sovereignly worked it, that as Jesus just approaches this town of Nain, A funeral procession procession is going on here. And we learn that this dead man was the only son of a widow. And when we read that, that's practically a guarantee of poverty for this lady. Almost a guarantee. All of her means of support are gone. Husband, gone. Son, gone. Her only son. This is almost a guarantee of poverty. On top of this, in this time, the people all that day saw an unfortunate event like this, an unfortunate event, as a judgment from God. So there's a very good chance that she would also be ostracized from the town. Broken relationship. She should be cut off. And so she's losing all support. She's almost promised poverty. And most likely people are going to start back, backing off because this has happened because you did something wrong. But what we see described here is a woman in desperate situation with no way to get out herself. And I want us to sit here for one second and see that widows, they seem and they do have a very special place in God's heart. Widows have a very special place in God's heart. We through, throughout biblical history, widows are front and center everywhere. Tamar, a widow that Judah wronged, it was through her that eventually Jesus would come. In the law, God's law, he took extra measures to protect widows from mistreatment, Exodus 22. He took measures to provide for them. That is, the people obey his law, Deuteronomy 14, 24, 26. Also in Deuteronomy, God calls himself the living God as the one who executes justice for the widow. It's interesting in the law in Deuteronomy, God specifically says to include widows at festivals. That as long as God is God, there will be no forgotten widows. And then if that's not enough, in Deuteronomy 27, towards the end of Deuteronomy, God, uh, God pronounces a curse on anyone who prefers justice to a widow. But moving on in the about, we see Naomi, widow, Ruth, widow, who King David would come from, king jesus would come through come from and the psalmist describes the lord as one who upholds the widow psalm 146 the prophets if you look through there the, the evil the unrighteous are often described as oppressing the widow it was the widow that jesus praised for her giving of two copper coins anna who we read in luke She was a widow who was in the temple uh, declaring the redemption of Jerusalem and Jesus. Uh, Deacons, Acts chapter 6, it was provision for widows that created this role of deacons. In 1 Timothy 5, when when Paul, inspired by the Spirit, is writing to Timothy about the church, there is an extensive section on widows. And then in James, James says that pure and undefiled religion before God himself is to visit widows. And so ladies, if you are, are a widow this morning, or you have anxiety or fear of one day becoming a widow, please know that you have a special place in God's heart. He is with you and he will not forsake you. So we see this widow, her only son coming out of town. Verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. So, so far in Luke, a massive uh, emphasis has been that Jesus is Lord. He is the Messiah King. He was the coming one, now he's come. He is the Almighty, the Prince of Peace, the Son of God. Luke's been emphasizing this over and over. And in this passage, he describes. Jesus as Lord, and that might not seem like that big of a deal, but in the Gospels with Matthew, Mark, they only describe Jesus as Lord outside of quotes after the resurrection, but Luke is emphasizing this is the Lord, so Luke emphasizes this is the Lord, Jesus is preaching the good news of kingdom to kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God from town to town. And the very good news is that this King, this Lord, is gracious, He's merciful, He's good, and He is compassionate. And that's exactly what we see. Jesus sees this widow in this desperate situation, and He has compassion on her. So not only is this Lord over your soul and your life King, but He's also the Lord that holds your heart together, that threatens to break with anxiety. And despair and discouragement, and he holds your heart with scarred hands, hands that have gone through the suffering, that have gone through the pain, who have gone through all that he's felt it. In fact, the word for compassion here uh, it comes from the word for bowels, which at that time, uh, which still does nowadays, um, is kind of seen as the seat of emotion right you can really feel it in your gut and that's exactly what's being expressed here is that this compassion of Christ wasn't just this uh, superficial feeling he had. This was a depth of compassion right down to his gut. He saw this woman, and he had compassion. This isn't the first time we see this. If you remember back uh, near Easter, we were going through Matthew, leading up to Easter. And we came to Matthew 20, where it's in like 21, where Jesus enters Jerusalem triumphantly, right? What do we consider Palm Sunday? Jesus enters. It is a massive deal. He's fulfilling prophecy. What we read right before that, as he's going, there's two blind men on the side of the street. And Jesus, as he's about to go in and fulfill prophecy, he has compassion and he turns aside to these two blind men. We read in other places, Jesus has compassion on crowds. He has compassion on the 4,000 who are hungry. He has compassion on a, a leper. He has a compassion on a demon-possessed boy, who the demon's pushing into fire and into water. And Christian, today, Jesus has compassion on you. Listen to the writer of Hebrews, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are told that Jesus is able to sympathize with us, with our weaknesses, in every respect. Because he's gone through it. He's experienced it. And in light of that, not only that, we can then draw with confidence to the throne of God to receive grace and mercy in time of need. Pass all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. First Peter. So Jesus has compassion on this widow and He tells her, "Do not weep." I don't want us to miss this. The widow is coming up with her dead son, and there's a crowd. She's surrounded by weepers. I know many of us know what it's like to feel alone in a crowd. To feel alone. There's people everywhere, but you feel alone. Alone with the burden, alone with the pain. And so this widow is alone in this crowd. She's carrying all this weight. This, this, this despair, this hopelessness. And then Jesus came and he, and she spoke and he spoke. And she was no longer alone. He does the same in our lives. He speaks, and we're not alone. It's like Shadrach, Bishak, and Abednego. They were not alone in the fire. As Nebuchadnezzar saw, there's one like the Son of God that was with them in the fire. So this morning, you two are not alone because the Son of God is with you in the fire. Verse 14, then he came up and touched the bier, and the bear stood still. So, cu- custom and courtesy is that in meeting a funeral procession, you stop and you wait. We still do that today, right? When people are driving out, you stop. Uh, that's the, the courtesy. Usually, we have policemen even helping that. And so, that was the common courtesy and the custom all that day, too. But Jesus doesn't move, he stops. And he has them stop. But picture this. As one, as one commentator said, the way of life meets the way of death coming out of a town. Jesus stops this funeral procession. And just uh, kind of picture this. Um, at that time, uh, so the body doesn't deteriorate, they would anoint the body with oil, and then they would get it out of the house as soon as they can. So before, before night, they would get it out of the house just because it would start decomposing. And so this was very soon after her only son, the widow's only son, has died. Usually they'd be wrapped a cloth on a bier, on a a plank of wood, carried out. There wouldn't be any coffin. It would just be a plank of wood with the body wrapped, carrying out. And there'd be mourners around. It was very emotional, as you can imagine. And especially with the situation with the widow, with her only son being carried out. And Jesus comes. He stops and then he touches the beer. In Numbers chapter 19, it tells us that touching the plant, the beer of a dead body, meant that Jesus was now ceremonially unclean and unable to enter the temple for some time. And we see this intimacy with this touch. Jesus touched. Jesus, we read, touched lepers and healed them. Jesus touched many sick people and healed them. Jesus tenderly held the little infants and blessed them. And I, I want us to see this beautiful picture of the gospel here. Number one, the widow is in a desperate situation, no way to get out herself. We were dead in our sin without any hope. We are enemies of God and we love our sin. Jesus, he chooses to stop the funeral procession. He makes himself unclean, unable to go into the temple, cut off from God, if you will, for her sake. Jesus chooses to save you. He cuts himself off from God for a time as he takes on your sin and your transgressions on the cross. And in return, through faith, you get his Righteousness. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then Jesus raised the son from the dead just as Jesus raises us from death into life. What a beautiful picture. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Verse 15, and the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. I love that picture that Jesus given her son back to her. For the second time, he gave it to her when she was born, and now he's he brought him back. But we see here, as Luke has been doing so far, highlighting the absolute power of the word of Christ. Jesus simply speaks, and this man is raised from the dead. This is in contrast to two other accounts in the Old Testament of someone being raised from the dead. There's one with the prophet Elijah, who stretched himself over a dead boy three times, and then the boy was revived. And then you have the prophet Elisha who would use his staff to touch a child that that was dead, and then stretch over him, and then that child was raised from the dead. In contrast, Jesus just spoke, and his man was raised from the dead. Jesus speaks, and things happen, and that's no surprise. God spoke, and creation, the world was created. Jesus spoke, and the wind and the waves obeyed him. God speaks, and there's life. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy that all of Scripture is God-breathed. That's the word that's used there. God-breathed. The power and priority of God's Word. And today, God continues. He continues to speak through His Word. and continues to take people from death into life. Jesus spoke, and the dead man lived. And that is our marvelous hope in Christ. Each of us today will stare death in the eye one day. Some closer than others, some probably unexpectedly closer than we would think. But we will each face death. And some of us have a bitter taste of death in our mouths from losing loved ones, friends lately. But our marvelous hope in Christ is life after death. Lazarus, who was a friend of Jesus, he died. And when Jesus came, to the village. He went and talked to Lazarus' sister, Martha, and he told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. To the Thessalonians, Paul says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, refer to those who are dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And what a statement. Paul says, yes, grieve. Grieve for those you have lost. It was never meant to be that way. Death was never meant to be. It was because of sin that death is here. But Paul says that, yes, grieve, but do not grieve like those that don't have hope because you have hope. Because Jesus Christ brings hope. Those we have lost, our believing loved ones, our little lost little ones, we have hope we will see them again. And so here in our passage, we see the marvelous hope that we have in Christ. Life. Life after death. Life for all those who believe. And then the passage ends. Verse 16. Fear. Fear sees them all, and they glorify God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So, uh, unsurprisingly, this spread everywhere. Listen to what happened. This is amazing. And so it spread. And Luke says, fear seized them all. And this is not the first time we read about this or that this occurring. If I remember, back in chapter 1, Zechariah, when he was mute, John the Baptist, his son, is born. And John... Uh, Zachariah speaks and names of John, and fear come upon all the people there. Chapter 5, Jesus heals and forgives the paralytic, and fear comes upon all the people. Acts chapter 2, if you remember us talking about the, the early church, the, the pattern that we saw there, that they devoted themselves to God's word, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, prayers. And what we also read is that fear and awe came upon every soul. If we jump a little further, Acts 5, when the Spirit of God killed Ananias and Sapphira, fear came upon everyone who heard. Acts chapter 9, uh, Luke describes that the church was walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit, and then the church multiplied out of that. And then if I could go on, Romans 3, Paul identifies the unrighteous and the lost As those that do not fear God. It is this fear of God that we see in this passage that leads to worship of God and glorifying God. Our worship of God this morning, this week will only be as deep as to the extent of our view of God's majesty, His worthiness, and His lordship in our lives. I'm going to say that again. Our worship of god today together in our lives at work and our families will only be as deep as to the extent of our view of his majesty his worthiness and his lordship in our lives and the people say god has visited his people and praise god because his visitation is full of compassion of christ In the song I quoted in the beginning, talk about feeling worn and crushed. The next next part of that song reads, And I know that you can give me rest, so I cry out with all that I have left. And so whatever you're carrying this morning, Jesus can give you rest. He is full of compassion. He can sympathize with your weaknesses because he's been through it. He's experienced it. He is not indifferent. He not only sees your funeral procession of, of doubt, of pain, of worry, but he'll stop it and he'll speak life through his word, his powerful word. And this marvelous hope of life in Christ, it gives us courage to die. Not saying, oh, we hope that death comes sooner. No, nope, that's not what I'm saying. But courage to face death Maybe as a consequence for following Christ, but we're going to face death because we have the hope and the assurance that just as Christ was raised from the dead, was the, the first fruits, the firstborn of many to come, we will be part of that as those who are believing. Not only that, this marvelous hope gives us courage to live. We can have joy that the fear of death cannot rob. We can rid ourselves of selfishness, greed, complacency, and arise from sin because we know that Jesus is Lord, that he has conquered death, and that we can live for him. And this marvelous hope of life also allows us to grieve with hope. Hope that we will be reunited with our grieving lost ones and our lost little ones. So, the compassion of Christ is why we're here this morning. And the compassion of Christ is painted with the most vivid colors on the canvas of the cross. So, I'm going to ask the the deacons to come forward as we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. And as they come forward, let's take a few minutes together and just take in and remember the compassion that Christ had for you and me on the cross.